Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapassi, and alongside me, as always, is... Paul Gilliari. Paul, here we are. We're exhausted. We're dads, and we're powering through <laughs> to get the people what they want, and that is... Yeah, no, nobody's interested in our complaints. <laughs> no, but we're powering through, and we're going to we talk win? about what the people want to know about in the Pearl Jam universe, and this week, that is, should Backspacer exist? Well, okay. So I, yes, obviously no, I, I, that's the title. Your words should not mine. It exist. That, that's a heavy, 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 uh, we need heavy to way to play because otherwise people aren't going to click on it. You need the clicks, 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 all right. right. Should it exist? Sure. Well, let's just go with that. Or I'll should it in. have all been left on the cutting room floor in favor of an entirely different direction? Lost dogs three. There you go. <laughs> Before we get into that though, and now that I have your attention, I want to give a, a brief shout out to our friends in Black Circle. They had a lovely live stream over the weekend. They announced their second record. It's called Pandora. Uh, if you caught it uh, or you can go back and watch it on YouTube, they debuted a lyric video for their first single, Indigo Child. They also played two other songs called Open Letter and Little Perfects. I am actually a huge fan of the latter. Uh, not the other two aren't lovely. Uh, and the record should be out in December. So you can go to blackcirclebc.com and pre-order that disc. Uh, also, of course, more housekeeping. You hear me say at the very top in a pre-recorded message forever ago, get on the social media accounts, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, continue the conversation there. And of course, rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Okay. Out of the way. We're feeding the algorithm. Yes. Good. So here's what we're going to do. You, it's very simple this week. You are going to give your opening statement as the uh, defendant of Backspacer and say why it, it, it should be a thing and is lovely at that. And then I will play devil's advocate and explain why as the plaintiff that it is dog shit and should never have been recorded in the first place. <laughs> you gotta be extreme, Paul. The kids love the extremes, okay. right? Yeah, it, it's all about binary points here. Binary, black and white. Yep. Zero, one, 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 zero. Okay. All right, Paul. Here we are. So, Backspacer came out uh, 2009. Oh, my God. That's forever ago. Mm-hmm. I remember those Gibson Amphitheater shows like it was yesterday. Tell me why Backspacer should exist and is a good album ghoster. So, I, I think a compelling argument can be made that Backspacer is the first true reset in the band's career. I know a lot of people feel that way about um, binaural. Some have made that argument about yield or even no code. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of folks have, have made that argument about avocado. I don't think any of those albums represent the type of reset that Backspacer does. We saw an air of positivity and optimism present in the songwriting. We saw for the first time, and and Eddie Vedder is quoted as saying this, we actually tried to write the songs before we recorded them. (laughs) 
I, I think that they really took the spontaneity of what had defined their recording sessions and and they did away with that for these sessions and they said hey let's let's make this tight and, and what happened we got the shortest album in the pearl jam catalog it's very tight it's very defined and refined and yes it's it's full of positivity and uh and optimism on a lot of levels but more than that i think what it allowed the band to do was show uh, a prism to listeners that reflected elements of them as people that we ordinarily never would have otherwise seen because we're so used to seeing each member of the band through the lens of the music that they make and the music up until this point that they had made as a band had been largely um well, let's put it this way. There was a degree of continuity through, I think, every one of their albums. There was, there was a lot of introspection and, and a lot of social commentary, angst. Um, this album seemed to really pivot. And it pivoted in a way that just... We saw a humanity in them that I, I don't think we had seen before because it wasn't so aggrieved. It, they, they allowed themselves to be happy. And they were okay with that. Stone is on record as saying a few times that the end is one of the most beautiful things that Eddie had ever written before. And yes, there's a melancholy to that song. But at the same time, when you listen to that song, there's a beauty in its reflection on life. It's not just looking back and being sad and lamenting a life wasted which really defined a lot of, of uh, the reflection found on Avocado. This album, I think, even when it does take a turn like that with a song like uh, Johnny Guitar, when we get a song like Force of Nature, I mean, there's something playful about it. There's just a, there's an aura of playfulness and the experimentalism in the track's is so tightly woven, it, it really does border on, on pop. And they were okay with that. Everything from the, the graphic presentation of the album to the compositions themselves, I think really seems to echo those ideas. And much of this album to me seems like a conversation that they're having with themselves. But it's not a conversation rooted in doubt and... Um, the need for validation or, or uh, the need to question. It was very much just being okay with the reality and the existence that they were faced with at that point in time. Now, if you want to point to the political evolution that we saw, well, maybe that's the wrong word, but the, the, the 2008 transferring of power that we saw, perhaps given their political leanings that, that provided them with the optimism and hope that they needed to, to produce a record like this and all subsequent records since I think have veered away from that. Perhaps as we've, I don't want to say become more disillusioned, <laughs> but I think to, to a large extent, obviously uh, we're starting to see the kind of music, uh, the musical undertones, I should say that we saw on albums like riot act and avocado and binaural. Uh, we're starting to see that take shape again with something like gigaton, but the band that made Gigaton is obviously 
there's a growth in them that wasn't present in 2008 and 2009. So I was uh, initially turned off, actually, listening to this album. I wasn't mm-hmm. ready for happy Pearl Jam, optimistic Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. But the more and more I think about this album, the more and more I, I, I grow to appreciate it. And I find it to be more uh, welcoming as, as an album. I think that there is a place for an album like Backspacer. It, it, and it, it's arguably one of the more necessary additions to the catalog. I think that Pearl Jam runs the risk of, of being remembered as somewhat one note without an album like this. And uh, there's, it, it's, it's a groovy album. There's a lot of, uh, of pop to it. I recognize that. And, and that's not for everybody. I completely understand that. However, I think that uh, this is the type of album that when you go see a Pearl Jam show, and to be honest with you, the first handful of Pearl Jam shows you and I ever saw together mm-hmm. were on this tour. And there was something exciting about seeing a string quartet behind Eddie Vedder. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, we saw some really, really interesting things come out of those sessions and that stuff transferred well live. So, you know, looking back on it now, I think that it was, it was a brand new approach and it should be remembered as a pivotal album in the band's career. And I think, uh, in some ways a redefining one, I think it allowed them to make the kind of music that we hear today because the, a lot of what we hear today is, is somewhat of a blend between those two positions. They don't feel so landlocked into the type of sound that they had before. Or that's, I keep saying sound. It's not so much sound as much as it is um, the positions by which their music was being informed. I think that it brought in the spectrum enough and it allowed them to uh, allow influences into their music that I'm not so sure they would have been keen on before. And so for that... I think we owe a debt of gratitude to Backspacer. That was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> it's also dead wrong. <laughs> Let me tell you, you how it's going to be, okay? There Here's the go. thing with the, with the Backspacer. There is a 36, 38. It's all that you got. That's all your money got you. Was it's less than a lot of minutes. 37 minutes of music. So your dollar per per note is not great. The biggest red flag after that is the band's admission, as you pointed out, that the more optimistic lyrics were in reaction to the election of Barack Obama. I get it. But also, come on. We have the advantage of perspective now. That the Obama years are behind us, but it wasn't all rose petals and daffodils, my friend. You know, not everything that come out of those eight years was something to be happy about. I get, you know, after eight years of Bush, even they must have been tired of feeling hopeless and embarrassed having him as a president. Riot Act, as you said, Pearl Jam, as you said, definitely spoke to those emotions more. Uh But did we really need a positive Pearl Jam album? Is that their wheelhouse? No. No, it's not. They succeed when they're angry, they feel aggrieved, and have some reason to react for those who cannot. And where, where is that in this record? A fictional womanizer? Figuring out, quote-unquote, which side of precipitation that you're on. Good evening in Italian? Come on. What the fuck is going on here? 
<laughs> it's nonsense. Sure, there are moments of Pearl Jam in the real house with songs like The End, as you mentioned, Speed of Sound. Um, but how can I rock if you're telling me there's something exciting to live for? <laughs> Come on. I need to feel like you're commiserating with me. And again, not even 37 minutes. I barely have time to get warmed up before it's over. And I, I couldn't have this just been, couldn't have just been like an EP of like the half of the album that lives close enough to the project wheelhouse and the rest could be on the cutting room floor. I mean, how many songs fade out, by the way? Too many fade out songs. Jesus. So for me, I mean, that's, that's, that's the argument right there that this is just, an unnecessary trope through the Pearl Jam catalog. Well, perhaps so, but <laughs> it's worth considering this. How did I do? It, you did well. I really tried I, I to think nail you, that. you perfectly articulated the general fan consensus mm -hmm. from those who did not receive the album well. Yes. I, I think uh, if, if you too short, are a fan... Too poppy, too concise. Yeah, if you didn't like Pearl Jam with that album... Uh, and that hasn't changed, I would imagine that you, you got a resounding applause for that argument. That said, I can't help but wonder, you talked about the wheelhouse, mm -hmm. right? There is an expanding of the band's sound that we've been watching unfold now for a while. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And that wheelhouse seems to be expanding with it, first and foremost. Moreover, I do believe that if, if that... If, how many decades can you make the same kind of record? Well, I think how, that many, the, how, many, how many things don't change or there's more, more evidence to right, but compound a problem? Do, do you think that there's just this subconscious association that certain fans make with Pearl Jam and, and just the concept of brooding, the emotion of brooding? And, yes. And that However, in the absence of that, it just doesn't feel like Pearl Jam and therefore there's a resistance to it. Like it, it rings false or it's... it's it's like Garth Brooks trying to try, you know, what was that the identity that he had? Remember that album oh, that came out? Yeah, where yeah. He, he, it was like a pseudonym that he came up with. Mm -hmm. and he, anyway, uh, I, I'm, I don't get that vibe from this album. It didn't feel to me like Pearl Jam trying to be something that they're not. It felt to me like Pearl Jam exploring something that they very much felt was genuine at the time. Now, I will say to you that I think, musically speaking, there is plenty here to um, support what you're saying. I think that the concise arrangements, um, writing things before they got into the Jim Henson studios with uh, Brendan O'Brien, first time he produced anything for them since Yield. Um, there was the heat that they let the, the band let Brendan uh, edit stuff as in like say hey i think this song would be better served if you took out this that and the other thing or move this thing around and they were open to it whereas they admitted before when he offered that maybe on verses or something like that and he'd be like they'd be like no fuck you we're doing it the way we <laughs> want to do it and perhaps they got too comfortable with that i mean there, there, there's an argument to be made that you know that's the reason why load and reload didn't work for metallica because they were working with bob rock so often even into St. Anger, that's like, well, they got too comfortable. They got, they got complacent. Maybe you could make, make the same argument there. I don't know that I would agree necessarily, but I see that argument. For me, the biggest red flag, though, are the lyrical compositions. 
I don't think, and now I'm coming back to be my my actual self here, not the uh, <clears throat> not the avatar I was playing. The thing with this record is, I don't know if I have a problem with them being positive. Okay. I think the problem is that they, in really Ed, because he's the one that wrote, I think every lyric on this record. Let's just double check. Uh, yep, every single one, and he was trying to come up with things to write about. So he, he, to come up, you know, listen, we've spoken about Johnny guitar before. Uh, Mm -hmm. I actually said that I think that it was an interesting story to talk, tell, but at the same time, it's based on a record. And he comes up with this story by looking at a album. He sees in a bathroom wall. It's (laughs) like, you didn't have any other stories kind of in you that were positive, you know, if you want to talk about the positivity going into the Obama years, there are songs on no code that you have celebrated that were written under far less substantial circumstances. Like what? Uh, okay. Red mosquito. How about, um, smile? How about black, red, yellow? There are a few tracks from those sessions that, uh, oh, black are red, they really silly? I love it. Sure. But I'm just, are, are there, are, are those are two songs, three songs. That's my point that, though. I, I think Smile and uh, what's that one you mentioned? Red mosquito. Red mosquito. I think those are far more clever and deeper than 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 you're making it out to be. And I think you you know that we are trying to say that to. to I do. I'm, this is not a, a, a mea culpa for Johnny Guitar, which is <laughs> arguably my least favorite track on the album. As uh, an example, though, because I, I think there's sure. some other songs in the record too that it's like, you know, the first two songs I actually enjoy going to see my friend and got some from a musical standpoint. They're kind of fun. They're punchy. They're quick. Um, but Ed has admitted that going to see my friend is about going to see a friend to tell them to not do drugs. And then the second song is about going to see a friend about a drug, but the drug is a good rock song. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, uh, honestly, a the, good the, rock the, song is the I don't drug? think those are shining examples on the album. To me, force of nature. Um, I'm just saying, if there's if there's 12 songs in the record, and I've already pointed out like four or five of them that are wastes of time. Okay, Lyric well, I, I wouldn't say they're wastes of time, but I mean, I, I don't know. I I just think that this. I like when here. the band. No, no, this is good. I like when the band pushes themselves, and I felt like in in, in this regard, while I didn't appreciate it at the time, I now look on it that there's a, a tastefulness to it. It's very tight. It's tightly woven, but there's a tasteful approach to these compositions, probably because yes. there, was, there was so much focus and emphasis on, on fully composing them before they recorded them, as opposed to coming in and just kind of letting some of that process be organic. Now, sure, but that isn't, in that, the, that isn't the question. I'm not, but I'm not arguing that Backspacer is a better album than Fill in Blank. I'm simply saying that, A, I, I don't just appreciate its right to exist, I actually value its place in the Pearl Jam catalog because I think it is a necessary album in that we don't get the songwriting that we see on Lightning Bolt and on Gigaton without Backspacer. Because, go ahead. No, no, no. So I agree with all of that, but it, it also runs parallel to my argument that you could do all that musically and still write better lyrics. There are some really amazing lyrics on Backspace. There are, but and I and I acknowledge that amongst the waves, the end, uh, just breathe, uh, unthought known, speed of sound, all force of nature. I mean, that's half the record. That fantastic lyrics. I would agree with that. My 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 trouble is 
is that then why are there so many other songs that are just like, it's filler. There's no reason to write a song about going to see a friend about a good rock song. Like that's just leave that. that that's a song for the Bee Gees. But, but we've seen this. We saw Lucan. We, we, we saw Habit. Like we've seen this type of song show up on a Pearl Jam record before, even in their heyday. So it, to me, it's not a, a, a deviation from the Lyrically path. Lyrically speaking, no. Lucan wasn't a throwaway. Uh, habit? That, no, that was about a friend who was in addiction. Okay, but is Habit so much more lyrically superior than Got Some? I mean, it's um, not Olay here we're talking about. Oh, God, <laughs> oh, man, fuck me, Olay. No, I, 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 well, okay, I so maybe, okay, maybe, maybe it's not so much the actual lines themselves, but the stories the lines are saying. My, my point I about... Suppose. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're talking about like, this is like leather records play status. Like, oh, cool. You like it. Like, so your point about here, here you go. Here's you go. So your, <laughs> your most overrated song on Vitalogy, Spin the Black Circle. What is it? It's a silly song about loving records. This is a prime example. They've done it before. I think part of the reason, one. and I said this at the time, that I felt that it was an overrated song because it, it was it was in the Grammy conversation, and I didn't think of all That's the songs. On, I mean, come on. You know, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad song, but of all the songs that are there, and by, if I'm being frank, I think part of the reason the song garnered that type of fanfare at the time was because there was the misconception that it had to do with heroin. I mean, I remember Kurt Loder doing a whole segment on MTV about how the band was in a lot of controversy with certain religious groups because a lot of people thought that it was about it. And Kurt or Eddie Vedder was saying, it's not what the song's about at all. Yeah, like, well, you know what? We've, we've, <laughs> all, we've all known that those people can fuck themselves and so can Kurt Loder. But, but, <laughs> but we're, we're staying on topic here. Backspacer, the boys are more mature. They've learned. Is there, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I, I let concise compositions. Cool. Do you want to be positive? Cool. You want to mine some new territory and not be so brooding? Cool. Then give me a, there's got to be better stories of, of hopefulness and positivity than, I don't know, let's just, let's write about how fun rock and roll is. And, uh, you know, that, that's like a Motley Crue thing. And that, no, that, but that, if, that's if you're writing a record that feels like it has elements of pop and new wave to it, you're going to have that type of lyrical content. I mean, nah. it can't. Are you trying to make a concept album now? No. I mean, it's like. <laughs> but wait, okay, well, let's, let's get think of an example. What would be a good example? Uh, actually, you know what? It's basically the reverse of River Cross. So think of the reverse of River Cross. Like you're, you're, you're leaving the darkness to go into the light and you finally feel um, the weight has been left off your shoulders and you feel free again. Like that's a, a perfectly acceptable uh uh, um, theme to write lyrics around, and you would think if they're writing in that kind of world or are are in that mindset entering the recording sessions, surely Ed would have thought of some sort of lyrical content to fit that theme and put it in a song instead of, "Hey, well, I, mean, I, I gotta pull up these lyrics because this is." Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Every night with the lights out, where are you gone? What's wrong? Every time you can try, but can't turn on a rock song. Got some if you need it. Like, okay. okay. I hear you. I, I, I'm not arguing <laughs> that there are not weak points on this record. However, yeah. I'm going to point yes. to two quotes from the band. Okay. okay. First stone stone said this album backspacer, what we could have done for the last five records in terms of re-engaging with the roots of why this band works. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
that's important to me. I think that's a salient point. That's a much heavier point than it's given credit for. Re-engaging with why this band works. I think if you don't do that, you can get lost and lose sight of why this band works. And that's what causes bands like Pearl Jam to not last as long as they have. Okay, the quote number two from Eddie. Eddie said, we made a couple of political and pointed records, the last two in particular. And just to move away from that is great because it allows you to go back to that when you need to. And it refreshes everybody. And it comes down to a beat and a melody and your friends and a lyric and a poem and something that's important to you. And this to me is what was so crucial about this record. It's very obvious that this record was important to them on a personal level. It mm-hmm. was not the kind of record like Retrograde, for example, is important to the band on a personal level, but on a social level as well. There's a there's a responsibility that they feel that oftentimes comes out in their songwriting. These were lean arrangements that really were very personal. I think that they just had a lot of fun writing. They had the, the kinds of songs that I think they never felt like they could write mm-hmm. or bring to the table before or that could find a home on a record before. And so it, it, it was always something they were afraid to, to perhaps pursue as, as, a, as a united path towards composing an album. And they finally let themselves do it. And for whatever faults and warts it may have, I think it was necessary. And, and quite frankly, I, I questioned if they didn't make this record, would this record, ha- had it gone in the same direction as the previous two, have felt disingenuous or inauthentic? Would it have lacked a degree of authenticity because they were feeling hopeful and inspired for the first time in a long time? So they would have been manufacturing angst and uh, you know pointed political state. It would have just not felt true. So this was probably the album we needed to get from them because it was the truest thing they could have possibly produced at that time. Yeah, and here's here's where I will will kind of tie things together uh, is that. I think you could say something. I'm going to come back to Metallica because I, I know them quite well as far as the, the timeline of the band is concerned. But you could kind okay. of look at this is not a one for one, not an apples to apples, but sort of how the band had to get through Saint Anger to come out the other side and make a Death Magnetic Understood. or Hardwired. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, they had to they had to meet that, and that was a low point for them. And they didn't they choose to they went they went there because they had to in in a almost like a negative way they had to get through that to get back to where they were whereas this was a hopeful optimistic choice to tighten things up that would allow them to balance and come through the other side and be able to do those other things again as we mentioned with with um, parts of lightning bolt and gigaton so uh yes i think i think we agree there are certainly some warts on this record um lyrically speaking but that there are bigger reasons why it's an important record in the band's catalog um and let's not forget there are a few gems on here and mm-hmm. some of which are rarely played live um i mean we uh we heard unknown at at uh, we did and it was the first record to what is it debut one since no code since no code that's right which i think that that's that's not nothing <laughs> i mean i think it helps that you had a, a, a pretty strong at least musically sounding single in the fixer. It kind of got people's attention. Sure. It was pretty poppy. It had the whole target, you right, know, the release, campaign. Yeah. And, you know, I think before that, um, I guess Roller Suicide was a pretty up-tempo poppy hooky single as well. But at any rate, um, 
we like Backspacer. It may not be the top of the heap of the catalog, but it has a very strong purpose. We both feel, yes. Mm-hmm. So don't don't let my devil's advocating advocating advocating. Oh my god! There you go. Advocating. This is how this is how tired we are. Is I can't speak yeah, words. But you did uh, a fine job with that role tonight. Yeah, thank you. So there you go. What do you guys think? It's fun to play the bad guy. It, we should have switched roles. I'm really <laughs> next time. I'm really good at it. By the way, to ask my wife about about, about the kids. I am the bad cop like 85 percent of the time. It's a real <laughs> treat. Anybody else out there like that? Who else out there has kids and they're the oh, bad person man. all the time? Or nearly all the time. Anyways, you guys tell me online. All right. There it is. That's a kind of a condensed for or against backspace. And it felt necessary to do it for this particular album because it's kind of one of those that kind of it, it is. It is a it is a kind of a um that's not polarizing, but it kind of is in the in the catalog. So let us know what you think. Where do you stand? Either side, somewhere in the middle, probably in the middle somewhere, yeah. And uh, we will move on to our Lyric of the Week. This week's Lyric of the Week, of course, comes from Backspacer, and it comes from Speed of Sound. Okay, Paul, speed of sound, back of the cat uh, the catalog, back of the record. It's it's a rare, rare, rare one. Uh, what do you think? I think it's it's an underrated gem on this record. <clears throat> um, I love the the sound of this. This I, the, the way it was produced is beautiful, uh, especially that that beautiful harmonized fifties mm. kind of melody. That I, I, I guess we can call it a solo. Uh, it, it's it's the type of track that I think Last Kiss, which is a cover, but Last Kiss told us Pearl Jam could write mm. if they wanted to do something like that on their own. Uh, it really does have that that feeling to it. I love that cool descending intro. It just feels like something at, at you know. Like like a flamenco guitar intro. Mm. It's there's so many parts and elements to this song that I I think hold such high levels of charm. It's such a tasteful, charming track on so many levels. Now lyrically, <clears throat> you cited this particular uh, this particular passage here. So you take a look at it here, and he says, "I'm still holding tight to this dream of distant light, and that somehow I'll survive." But this night has been a long one, waiting on a sun that just don't come. It's just great songwriting. It really, really is. The poetry, it's not Hemingway here or Whitman or, you know, insert favorite poet here. That said, though, when you think about the the composition and the arrangement. What's that? You said think think of favorite poet, and I said Biz Marquis. Okay, there you go. I think that... that, I think the lyrics in this song remind me a lot of the types of lyrics that we would have seen when Last Kiss was composed. 
it really does have a lot of that uh, 50s, early 60s vibe to it in terms of, of lyrical content. And I think Eddie nails it here. I think he, he really, really does. And there's something about this feeling of holding on to something and knowing how hard this is, what you're going through. And you're waiting on this light that, that you just don't feel like it's going to come. You just feel like you're stuck. But the music feel that there's a lamentation, but it's done in a way that's almost celebratory. It's, it, it's such an interesting dichotomy. And so I feel like musically, the song imbues the listener with an, a, a degree of hope as the lyrics paint this, this portrait of helplessness and hopelessness. Well, you say hopelessness, and, I, and the first word I wrote down in my notes here is desperation. Yeah. Bearing through a really trying time with the hope, and we, uh, that's what we're talking about before, hope of the better. Um, haven't we all been feeling this for the better part of two years? <laughs> that uh, somehow we'll survive, um, some of us literally, and most of us mentally and emotionally. We're waiting on this sun. You know, the next day, because it's been too long. I mean, that, that's the macro version. That's the one that, that's applicable right now for all of us. And I, I don't know if it would be so easy to relate these lyrics to our current state of affairs if the pandemic did not happen. Uh, if not, these lyrics of hopeful misery could be applied to anything, really, a romantic relationship gone bad, you know, a loved one having died. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how you take it macro or micro. It's about having the resolve, the steel to hold on. The first line says it all. And I'm still holding tight. Still, that word still, the implication that you've been holding on. That shit's exhausting, man. <laughs> holding on to anything positive or negative or literal. And try holding on to like a gallon of milk or, or, or a dog that's pulling or, or a monkey bar. It's hard to hold on. You're holding on to the monkey bars. It's hard. Oh, if that isn't like the the perfect tangible metaphor for for the struggle of life, you're on the monkey bars. For some reason, it's always lava, right? You got to get across because it's lava. The grass, whatever. The wood chips, lava. Yeah, it's all lava. So, and that's what it feels like. And and, you know, apply that, apply that to the the holding on of, of emotionally and and. Mentally, there's an internal strength, patience, and resilience unmatched by the physical on this one. And this is, for me, this is true strength. You know, that that distant light, a better normal time could be considered a dream. I mean, Jesus, not just back to normal, but a dream. That is depressing. Let's go back to the macro for a second. Will we ever go back to a normal pre-COVID thing is that even possible like how normal will normal be after this is finally like beyond us to you know we don't know if if someone close to you like super pivotal is it um, if if they die let's say is it possible to ever truly be back to normal after they're gone maybe not depends who it is we we often kind of talk about light disinfecting the darkness but when it feels like it will never come, how do you carry the strength to continue to hold on to the dream that is those monkey bars or the monkey bars that is the dream, I should say. Mm-hmm. Like the, these, these lyrics, like you said, they're not the best poetry in the world, but they're written plainly enough and, and, and linked together. It just, it paints a picture 
that everyone can relate to, whether it's a macro thing like dealing through a 20-month pandemic or getting through the loss of a relationship or a loved one or whatever. I think I put this song down pretty hard when I first heard it. I didn't really give it much of a chance. I didn't I didn't really sit well with the six eight time signature. It's a funky one. Um this is a song written musically by Mike McCready. Yeah, no, sorry. No, so Eddie, Eddie wrote this one. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong, wrong thing there. And I know we a lot of you guys heard the demo that came out. I think there's like a game at the time when Backstage was coming out where you could collect, you could like search the internet and find all the different nine photo or uh, drawings, cartoons that made up the album cover. And once you did that, you got a demo version of Speed of Sound. And a lot of people loved that and then didn't love the album version as much as that. I think that's kind of the uh, first come, first served kind of bias personally because i think the album versions now tremendous i i've the demo versions beautiful though it is it's It's wispy and it's it's very nice but there's some really cool as you mentioned some really cool parts to the 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 very towards the end it's like those little sounds you know and there's just something that really augments the flamenco style picking acoustic that he does that works beautifully with these lyrics and it's an you said it, it's an underrated gem, and I, I liked these set of lyrics within the song because, to you to use your word, it imbued something um, special to me, and uh, I think we should all kind of go back and and re-listen to this song and read the lyrics as you're going through, and it'll strike you a little, a little bit differently if it hasn't already. Mm-hmm. My two cents. All right, let's go to our live cut of the week. cut of speed of sound going back to god we're 12 years ago now 10 11 years ago something like that where are we going we're going to your hometown buddy well home <gasps> state anyway we're going to connecticut hartford we're going to the Hartford. It, 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 is it the xl center or the hartford civic center which, which is it oh well it depends what time and what area you're talking about okay, uh, when, so- when the show happened it was the xl center when i was growing up it was the hartford civic center Okay, okay. Home of the Hartford Whalers. <laughs> so uh, I know that the 2013 show gets a lot of fanfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, epic show. They play the 30-something songs and the, the really, really great performances, especially on the heels of the, the Newtown uh, yeah. travesty. And uh, I think that informed a lot of the performances that night. But in 2010, on May 15th, they played in this exact same venue. And I find that this version of Speed of Sound is particularly inspired. All right, let's go to Hartford, Connecticut, May 15th, 2010. Moving at the speed of 
thing for me on this version, the tempo is perfect. Yeah. When you have a funky time signature, you have to, it doesn't always work in different, in certain speeds. And they got the tempo right. Uh, this song has only been played seven times total. So you didn't have to go through a lot of versions to pick no, up this one. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, but what's interesting, when you mentioned Flamingo before, it, it reminded me of how strong in the mix that is in this one. So if you prefer that 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 demo version, that's really thick on the, or heavy, I should say, on the acoustic guitar that it's playing, then you will really like this one. I think, too, the, the that it's like a harmonized solo that they do. Mm. The two guitars, it, it, it really stands out here. You, you mentioned how thick it was at the beginning. I get the same vibe there as well. Uh, it's just in, for a record that is hallmarked by its tight arrangements and recording and composition, this just felt like a wonderfully tight rendition of, I think, a beautiful song. And uh, to your point, there's not a lot to choose from. And I think this one, of the ones we do have to choose from, stands out the most. It's it says something when you can have a song that's quite short. Uh, it's what three and a half minutes, something like that. Um, but it feels Pop song length. Yeah, uh, it's not about the length necessarily, but it does feel big. Yeah. So to have a song feel big on a tight record, that's pretty cool, and it comes across here in this performance. There you go. There's a little taste of backspacer for you. We haven't we haven't hit that record in a while. So no, it's fun to swim in these seas for a bit. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and I'm going to be honest with you. I was I was thinking all all day and yesterday as well about the lyrics that you picked, and the reason is because I in my head I was thinking a whisper in the dark is that you are just my thoughts. I'm wide awake and reaching out. Can I forgive what I cannot forget? and live a lie. I could give it one more try. There are literally, you There's can take lot. any, I know. any I, piece I, of this song and it's, <laughs> it, it's a great set of lyrics. And so I, I just can't help it. But first of all, a, a nod of the cap to, to Eddie on the lyrics of this song, they, they really do stand out in places. Uh, but at the same time, just such a beautiful logical extension of, of what they were doing with, with last kiss on, on a lot of levels as well. I could return back to the song a few different times, to be honest with you. So it's uh, which further underscores why Backspacer is a necessary album. <laughs> My avatar is going to come back for a second. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right, guys. There you go. Another tight. Hey, a tight episode for a tight record. There How about that? We're, we're not. We're not nothing if not consistent. Yeah. Somebody listening is like, these guys are just tired and want to be done. I, I am tired. <laughs> they're, but they're phoning. I, no, we're not phoning in. I thought we would. Hey, if you felt we were phoning this episode. Dial in, two. Dial two. Are you on your phone right now? Just hit the two button. Let's see what happens. <laughs> My phone is a screen. What app should I be in? <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Uh, we will see you next week, possibly with another guest that you may have listened to before talking about a very pivotal album. Uh, not to say that this one wasn't, or that my guest today, my my, my guest, my co-host, isn't special. But we oh. we have another special person, I think, coming up next time around. Talk about a big old record. So come back next time, listen to that, uh, get on social media, follow us there, continue the conversation online. And until the next time you listen to us, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.